name is Rebecca. I just want to say, oh, since you both said it, it was my birthday. I mean, I felt it because I know Justin, how amazing God's love is. And when you feel that, it gives you a warmth and a warmth to God. Okay, so um, a couple of weeks ago, I went treasure hunting with Melissa. And we went to the park. We took the boys. And after we were going to go treasure hunting, I was wet. Well, it was getting dark. So I kind of felt the urgency to start treasure hunting. And it's kind of funny how God works in little ways to help us break the flow. But uh, so we started writing down the clues. Blue collar, pink, purple. And then I was getting random things like Pac-Man, elbow, tree. And I knew that this was going to happen in the park. I just knew it. So <laughs> it was dark at that time. And we had to take her to I was like, just take her down and drive her home. So we got her there, and we drove around, and I was looking for a tree. And I figured wherever this treasure is, it's going to be under a tr- under the tree. And so we were driving around, and we spotted this pickup under a tree with two young ladies in it. And they were decked out in color. And I knew right off the bat that this was God's treasure. So (laughs) Melissa asked me, how do you do this? How do you approach the people? And I was like, well, I think it'd be better if we just unloaded the whole van and the kids. It'd be a lot less creepy than just one person approaching two girls. So we unloaded the van with the kids and we approached these young ladies. And I had no idea what I was gonna say because it was dark, but here we are, kids, and you know, two ladies, so I didn't feel too bad, but we approached them and I said, out of nowhere, God said, lead with Pac-Man. So I was like, okay. So I just busted it out, I was like, does Pac-Man mean anything to you? And one of the girls, her jaw dropped, and she started spilling out her heart about how God had put Pac-Man in a, in a thought, in a ministry that he had put on her heart years ago, a ministry about testimony. And so we sat there and we talked for a little bit. And then um, <laughs> I told her she was God's treasure and her friend was sitting next to her and I really felt that she was God's treasure too. So I was like, does elbow mean anything to you? And she's like, oh, yes, I've had elbow pain since I was young. And she told me the story of an injury that she had in her back. And so we prayed and commanded healing. And it was fat, it was God all over it. He just supernaturally was moving her body. And she said she felt warmth in her back and she was being healed. But, and that was amazing treasure in itself but I felt led to keep in touch with these young ladies and I know I've spoken about that before but I did so I decided to text them and keep in touch with them well Chelsea Chelsea one of the girls the Pac-Man girl 
she got, God put it on my heart to minister to her about this ministry and that she was going to have a testimony and to give her. So I met with her for coffee. And during the conversation we were talking about, I told her, I said, you know, God's got big plans for you. You have a destiny. You in, in this ministry you're talking about with testimony, he really wants to encourage you to, to do this. And the conversation shifted midway where she started talking about her brother and her mother and the problems they've been going through. And I had been going through the same thing with my sister at the time. And so I told her, I said, love, love, love is the answer. Well, we finished the conversation. A couple days later, she calls me out of nowhere. And she was crying. She was bawling. I mean, I became friends with this girl. And I knew there was a reason, but I didn't know what God had planned. But God has a perfect movement in everything. And she, she was bawling. She said the police had just called her from her hometown. And that she was to go home immediately. Well, God put a scripture on my heart as she hung up and I started praying and she said, please pray for me. And God put a scripture on my heart, John eleven thirty seven. But some of them said, could not he who opened the blind man's eyes have prevented this man from dying? And I instantly knew something had happened to her mother because of her brother. She called me when she got there and she said, for the sake of little ears, I'm going to spell it. But she said, my brother, S-H-O-T, my mother in the head. And she, she's dead and she's gone. And this woman, she's only 23, 24. She's not old. But she has an incredible testimony. And she just poured her soul out to me and I knew that everything that had happened up to that point was God, was all God. Him prompting me to talk to her and him prompting me to just teach her and, and this young lady has forgiven her brother for what he has done and she wrote something, she wrote something on her Facebook that I wanted to share with you but in her forgiveness, she's going to be able to impact people. And she said, what is forgiveness to you? Because in the world, it's a sign of weakness. In God's eyes, it's one of the greatest strengths of signs of strength. Forgiving someone doesn't mean, oh, hey, I'm going to pretend like what you did never happened and allow for it to happen again. It means the bitterness and hate you've caused in my heart is not worth it. I freely give you to God. This hate will no longer take up any room. I have too much love for God and his will for my life. She has forgiven the ultimate. I, I lost my mother a few years ago, so I know her pain, but she has given the ultimate forgiveness because of the love of God. And there's nothing stronger than love and the love of God.
And I just wanted to say that one treasure doesn't just have to impact a family or a community, but it can really have an impact on the world because her story is national and she has forgiven him. And she is, and he, with, she went and saw him Saturday. She called me last night. She saw him Saturday, her brother. And he has asked for forgiveness and has repented and he is turning his life and he accepted a Bible from her and he is turning his life and giving it. And I just wanted, I just wanted to say, you know, just what a little to add on to what Pastor was saying, but, and this is the lyrics of Jake Hamilton, but we, each of us, are royalty. Yeah. We have a destiny and we have been set free. And now it's time to shape and change history and disciple. Isn't that amazing? You know how two ladies made themselves available. You know, some people would say random coincidence, you know, throughout those terms. But we know better than that. And you know what excites me is that God knew, you know, he didn't cause the young man to kill his mom. But he knew that that was going to happen. And he knew this young lady was going to be alone without family, just like that. Mom dead, brother in prison. And God connected her with family before that happened through a random treasure hunting experience because two ladies made themselves available and said, God, send us. And so that's what I mean by God rescuing the world. And he wants to use us to be a part of his kingdom to make an impact in people's lives. And brothers and sisters, we get that opportunity. We get to partner with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and make an impact in people's lives. I was so blown away by that. She was, uh, Rebecca was keeping me in touch with, you know, the whole process that this whole thing went through. And it, it just broke me when I found out the young lady's lost her mother. But just how God caught her in his arms. And he wants to do that kind of thing. Not everything is that dramatic as far as, as the outcome. But what is dramatic is people's lives being impacted for the kingdom of heaven. And he wants to do that through you and me. And see, that's why I get excited about freedom. When we have bondages and stuff that will hold us down and, and try to snuff the, light, the life out of us, and then the Holy Spirit breaks that bondage off of us and gives us the opportunity to be free, I get excited about that because it's not just about the freedom, but it's what that in freedom enables us to do to go out and be an impact in the world just like this young lady, Chelsea. That's what I get excited about. We say, come on, Holy Spirit. Come on, Holy Spirit. And um, I've been communicating with Rebecca, and, and we're going to start, she's uh, probably starting next week, starting next Sunday, uh, and every other Sunday, she's going to be going out treasure hunting after church. Around, we'll have the information in the bulletin so you'll know the specifics, but around 1, 1.30, uh, people can meet back here at the church and then go treasure hunting. Treasure hunting is just a practical tool of evangelism. It allows you to hear from the Holy Spirit in practical, interesting ways, exciting, fun, adventurous. I know uh, treasure hunting is not for everybody. I know some of you just, the thought of treasure hunting just terrifies you. 
But some of you are scared, but say, hey, I want to try that out, that adventure spirit in you. So we want to make that opportunity available. Sunday afternoons, 1.30, meeting here at the church every other Sunday. And if you want to know more about treasure hunting, I bought some books. I put them out this morning, and they happen to be in the sale rack, $5. So if you ever wanted a treasure hunting book, you can buy them on Amazon for $12.95, or you can buy them from us for 5 bucks. Now, I only have four out there. I got one here, so I have five available. So I would encourage you to get this. It explains what it's about, and it's, it's a very interesting book, exciting book. Because we don't want to just be about, when we talk about the Holy Spirit and his presence, it's not just about us having a good time here. It's about him impacting and changing our lives here so we can go out and make an impact out there. Amen? Amen. So if you have any questions about treasure hunting, uh, talk to Rebecca. And uh, by the book, we don't make any profit off of it, as you can tell. But I'm also excited about it. It's interesting how the Holy Spirit is, is orchestrating this. We have a, a brother somewhere around here. Oh, over here, <laughs> Mark Bruner. Many of us know Mark. He's been around. He's from this area, been around a long time, and he's a minister in another part of the world. I'll let him tell you that because I don't want to misspell and mispronounce the name. But Mark's going to be ministering to us this morning, and I appreciate what God's doing in and through his life and his wife and his son and, and the ministry that God has raised up through him. And I want to let you know that we do have an offering box in the hallway available, so if you want to bless him and the ministry, uh, just give, write the checks out to New Covenant Fellowship, and we'll make sure that it all uh, gets to Mark and his ministry. So, Mark, I want to invite you to come on up, brother. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You. I'll use that one.
bad drought here in the Midwest, and I have a couple brother-in-laws that do cattle business in New Mexico, and man, there there was no grass anywhere. I mean, everything was dry and dead. They had to ship in all the hay, and it was a tough year. But <clears throat> see, in God's house, I'm going to give you some in encouragement today. It says his stream is full of water. There is no lack of provision. He says you prepare their grain, for thus you prepare the earth. You water its furrows abundantly. You settle its ridges. You soften it with showers. You bless its growth. You have crowned the year with your bounty, and your paths drip with fatness. That means your paths drip with abundance. Amen? Now that's the word of God. See, the, the world may be going through difficulty and lack, but it doesn't have to land on your house because you're part of this heritage. Amen? And we got to continually speak forth and believe what our covenant promise is and just put our trust in the Lord. Amen? That's what I'm doing in check, and that's what you're doing right here. And, and after a little bit, I'm going to be talking about Isaac, who, who did just that. It was a time of famine, a time of drought, and yet he obeyed God. He sowed, and this all came to pass. Now, the other people, it stayed dry around their land, but on Isaac's land, abundance from heaven came because he obeyed, and he stayed where God told him to be. And then he got the hundredfold increase. Amen? And so I want to encourage you. That's for you, too. That's not just for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That's for everyone who believes in the name of Jesus. Amen? So I'm going to play a song, and it's called, I Will Trust in the Name of the Lord. that please it's track two a little more track Who will never forsake you In his love we will always abide Though the world turns away He always will stay by my side He's our everlasting light And he's our song within the Open your mouth with a praise and a shout to Messiah. Jesus, I will trust in the name of the Lord. Let the people assemble in holy accord. Put all unbelief aside. My God will turn the tide as we trust in the name of the
There were times David felt like an outcast. His own son had him run out of town. Though he knew he was king, it seemed everything had gone wrong. And yet while hiding in a Just in the name of 
trust in the name of the Lord. Amen. Folks, you don't have to be afraid of anything. The only thing you need to fear is having a healthy fear of God. Amen. Because the worst thing that could happen is, you know, you might die, and then you get to go to heaven anyway. So let's rejoice in the Lord. Amen. Well, I want to show uh, some slides now of what's happening over in Czech Republic. As I said, this has been a great year uh, of expansion. We just baptized 11 new people in December, and uh, the most of them are youth, uh, like seven were youth and four were adults, and we've had other people get saved too, a lot through our summer camps. That's been our most effective um, tool for reaching out in our community. And so some of these scenes you've seen before, but it's good to get it even a second time because it, it gets into your spirit what's really happening. We have to remember Czech was really under a huge hand of oppression for 45 years under the boot of the communists. And they eradicated um, almost every spirit-filled denomination. They took away their buildings. They sent the pastors to jail. If you were a Christian, you were labeled for life as mentally deficient. And you would not get a decent job. You had to quit school after the ninth grade and go to work in the factories or the fields. And if you uh, wanted a house or a job, you were in the last in line for everything. That was what they did to Christians. And people started to put their faith in the closet. And see, it's God's will then to open up those wells of Christianity in that place that the devil tried to fill up that well of truth with the lies of philosophy of men, you know, that there is no God and that there, anyone who believes those things is somehow mentally off. And see, there was a great history in Czech Republic. You see, there's this huge uh, monument, and for centuries it was a, a strongly Christian country. But see, the people had an, a faith in a God of monuments and statues. And the the weight, you think of how heavy, that's a plague column. They built that in the 1700s because a plague came through Europe. And they thought, well, we'll build this plague and hopefully it will appease an angry God and he won't give us the plague. Well, the plague came anyway because a, a big stone statue cannot change anything. You can pray all your life to a stone statue and hear nothing because God is not living in a monument or a statue. He lives in here. Amen? And people need a fresh re revelation of that. And that heavy, ugly monument is, is symbolizing the weight of oppression on Czech Republic. The weight of dead religion, the weight of communism, the weight of darkness, that only Jesus can break through that. Amen? So go to the next one. So in spite of all the marginalization of Christianity, you know, there is that presence, uh, ancient uh, cathedrals, and they're beautiful buildings, but they're almost empty. Uh, the, the young people have seen that that old dead religion is has no power and has no, those rituals and, you know, laws that they follow don't have any application to modern life. So the, the young generation has almost completely rejected that style of relationship to God. Go to the next one. So this is now our purpose. We 
have been there 20 years. We've got eight churches now in the Czech Republic, and you can see them uh, around there. Our main church is in Prague, and then starting at the top in the north east, we have Jesenik, Michalovica, Opava, Ostrovo, Pšibor, Kromježiš, and then my church where we pastor, Tommy and I, are in Olomots. And uh, we, we are seeing that God has really centered us more in that eastern part of the nation because I have been praying for a long time that God would send us to the place where we could open up those wells where the original, what they were called, the Moravian Brethren came from. And the Moravian brev- Brethren came from that eastern part. That's Moravia. And back in <coughs> the 16 and 1700s, there was a huge revival in Moravia. They were the followers of Jan Hus, who you might know was the predecessor of Martin Luther by 80 years. And he really instigated the Reformation. Everyone's heard of Martin Luther, but Jan Hus was the man. You know, he was uh, a Czech priest, and he was the head of the Charles University in Prague. He was a very educated man. But he started looking the biblical history. He said, hey, this isn't right that we're only preaching in Latin because most of the people can't understand. So he changed the liturgy and started preaching in the Czech language. And then he says, well, let's go a step further. The people don't understand when we're chanting in Latin. Let's sing regular songs in Czech. And so he was the first one to adopt a, you know, what we would think of as a praise and worship service with Czech texts and songs. Then he said, you know, that's not enough. Let's start taking the texts of the Bible and translate them into Czech because it's no good if the priest is the only one who can have the Bible. Everyone needs it. So he got manuscripts from Wycliffe over in England, and they started translating the Bible into Czech. They started with, like, John and then Matthew and step by step. And, you know, the first language in the whole of Europe that had the Bible in their language wasn't English, it was Czech. The Czech Bible was before the King James because they had a hunger for the word. And in that part of the country, 90% of the people came to Christ. 90%. And then there was a huge long war. And, and of course, the Habsburg Empire and the Russian Empire, they did not want this new sect of the Hussites or you know what was called the Moravian Brethren. They didn't want them, you know, departing with all these radical ideas about the Bible. You know, and of course, they had uh, martyred John Hoots. They, they burned him at the stake and many of his followers. Well, they came against and fought against the army of Czech and Bohemia for 30 years. And finally, there was some strife between the leaders. Uh, you know, that's how the devil always does, divide and conquer. And there was some contention between the generals and the Czech and um, Moravian leadership was uh, defeated in the Battle of White Mountain in 1620. And uh, finally, the huge army of the Habsburg Empire came in, and they forced all the people of Moravia into exile who, who would not recount their faith. So thousands of Moravians had to flee for their lives over into Germany. And there was a, um, a new community called Hernhut, which means watching for God. And, you know, similar things happened. People were kind of arguing about, well, who's going to get the better land and who got more wood? And, you know, there was a lot of strife at the beginning. And then they all gathered together. They said, what we need is the unity of the spirit. And they began to pray and fall on their face. And 
Count von Zinzendorf, the German man, he was a count that opened up this estate with all this place for these immigrants to come and build, you know, a place to live. And he said it was just like the book of Acts in chapter 2. And a mighty wind came through that place. And they began to speak in tongues. And they fell on their face and were slain in the spirit. And this is chronicled. It happened in 1732. And there was such, he said, there was such a peace and unity. There was no more self-will and no more disobedience and self-seeking or selfish ambition. But everybody held everything in common. And there was such a wave of revival in that place. They started a prayer meeting that lasted 100 years. There was three people on shifts every day, 24-7, for 100 years. And that Moravian movement became the greatest missionary sending uh, society in the whole world for the next 100 years. They sent people to America. They evangelized the Indians. They sent people to the uh, Pacific countries. They sent them even to Alaska. I was in mission school in 1992 in Victory. And a woman came in who was an Aleut Eskimo, lived in the Aleutian Islands. And I said, well, how did you get saved? She said, oh, well, there was a Moravian Brethren mission on our island, you know, from 200 years ago. And these, these were amazing people. And so I am so thankful now. See, I didn't even realize this. When I first went to check, I had no idea about all this history. And now I see that God has sent us to open up that well again of salvation that has been poured out all over the world because of these faithful brothers and sisters who were forcibly exiled out of their homeland. And we need to bring the gospel back there and open up that well of salvation. Amen? And I need your help, praise God. And, and I'm so thankful because New Covenant is one of our main supporters for years now. And I'm just so thankful. And you keep it up. Keep going for God. You know, giving your tithes and your offerings because that's what's keeping us on the field. Let's go to the next one. So this is the place that Tommy and I bought four years ago. We're making steady improvements. When we came there, it was really in bad shape. And the church was in bad shape. But God sent us back there to get our church uh, lifted up again. And he helped us find this beautiful building out in the country. Next. And now this is what it looks like right now. Tommy just called me, and they got a foot and a half of snow in the last two days. <laughs> and she's over there trying to dig out with one of our workers. And it's a challenge, you know, because there's no gas. We live in this valley. There is no phone. We don't have phone lines. We don't have gas. We have to chop wood, and that's how we heat. You know, chainsaw, chop the wood. That's that's how I stay in such miraculous shape. No, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, anyway, the main building on the left, the upper place where the yellow is, is our Holy Ghost Hall. That seats about 45, and that's where we do our Bible studies, our worship leader uh, teams meet and practice, our youth group, and uh, other you know, like women's meetings and prayer meetings. And then downstairs, that triangular place is the main entrance, and there's two halls inside the restaurant, one uh, by that big door and then over to the left. That wooden building over on the right in the background is our outdoor pavilion. That's where we have like an outdoor summer restaurant. And then you can see the band stage in the right, and we, we clear off the whole parking lot in the summer and put picnic tables and big umbrellas out there, and we do concerts every Saturday, 
and we share the gospel, and it's wonderful because the unbelievers come to us. <laughs> we don't have to go and try to find them. They're in there right in our face every Saturday, well, every day, but especially Friday and Saturday nights. Next. This is how it looks now. Uh, Tommy, you can see she's a New Mexico girl, and so she's done a great job um, designing and decorating it, but we, we've had to redo everything. And I'll show you what it looked like three years ago. Next. That's the same room. So you can see we had our work cut out for us just a little bit. <laughs> we had to do new walls, new electric, new ceiling, all new tile on the floor, new water, new sewer. In fact, there isn't much that we didn't have to redo. <laughs> but, you know, step by step, God's given us grace. We've been working hard, and it's coming together. Now it's a, a, a great ministry center. Next. So this is our church in Olomouc, and uh, we're, we're ministering on Sunday afternoons as our main service because it's a church we rent from the Apostolic Church, which is like Assembly of God in Czech Republic. And, you know, they're good friends of ours. But this year, we're really hoping to get into our own building. As you can see, this was a, a Russian army general from Siberia who got miraculously saved. We had him there in October, and it was a wonderful meet, meeting because uh, he understands authority in Jesus because he was in authority. And many people got healed, we, and that was our first time we broke over the 100 mark in our church. <laughs> Glory to God. And I just believe in God we're going to keep growing. Next. And this is our men's group. Uh, we, we take outings um, like three times a year. We'll, we'll do out um, like we let. I'm thinking in Czech now. Retreat. Like an, uh, uh, I can't even think in English. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, go to the next one. <laughs> And Tommy, of course, she has women's meeting. And this is the women um, in that Holy Ghost room upstairs. And she follows it with an enchilada dinner because she is very good with Mexican food. So instead of Tex-Mex, we call it Chex-Mex. <laughs> and it's good. They like it, too. It's just hard to get them to try it. Next. And this is what our camps do in the summertime. You know, we have all kinds of, you know, singing and crafts and sports and drama and English lessons from the Bible. And, and we just make it fun to learn English. But more, the, the, all the texts that we use are Bible verses. The whole English is about the Bible. So the kids go, with it, go away not only with English knowledge, but even more important, they know the Bible verses. Next. And then we have an afternoon time where we do sports or we go on little trips. And here I'm taking them up. You see those beautiful trees up there in the hills behind us. It's like the Ozarks. It's very hilly and beautiful mixture of pine and hardwood. And uh, it's great exercise for the kids. Next. And then this is in that outdoor restaurant area. And our friend Fred, he's a professor at the University of Kentucky in economics. But he comes every summer with his wife. And they teach our kids in English camp. So maybe some of you will get a vision for that. Next. This is our youth band. You know, I'm a former band director. That's what I, can you believe Shannon actually used to play saxophone? Yeah, she was good too. What happened? <laughs> well, maybe you encourage her. Anyway, Todd says, Mark, watch it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Anyway, this is uh, how we get the, the youth drawn into the spirit. Go to the next one. 
this is uh, our, our youth band. We have the English on one side and then the Czech on the other. So they learn the new songs. And a lot of these kids are unbelievers. They haven't been in church in their whole life. And they come at the beginning and, wow, what's this? But by the end of the week, go to the next slide. They're, they're lifting their hands and praising Jesus and giving him glory and getting saved. And that's what it's all about. Amen. Next. And here's Carol. Uh, she's helping with the crafts. Uh, every afternoon we have a little craft time where they make a necklace or some artwork. And that way the kids have something to take home at night and show their parents what we're doing. And next, this is uh, the little kids. We put their Bible verses and stickers on these little scrapbooks they make. And that, that gives them an ongoing memory for the whole rest of the year. Next. And that this is us taking the kids out. There's all kinds of beautiful castles. And it's not like the clapboard sheetrock facade like Disneyland. <laughs> it's the real thing with six-foot-thick walls and big old moats and drawbridges. And this one had a, a beautiful uh, Napoleonic cannon. The kids love that, learning about the knights in armor. Next. And this is... Uh, some of our kids getting ready for going on a hike. And uh, this is, like I said, four of adults and seven youth got saved and baptized this December that have come in through the camp. So this is really a great tool for us, and we want to expand and have more camps this year. Next, and we have the kids make their uh, T-shirts, you know, Carol and Fred have them do these tie-dye, which is, becomes like our choir uniform. And, you know, the unbelievers and the families come for the last night. We call it family night. And, you know, some of the unbelievers can kind of resist. When I get up to share, they, oh, yeah, here's that crazy American. What's he going to say? And these kids come up, and these little, you know, seven, eight-year-old kids are, one way, Jesus. He's the only one that I could live for, you know. And, and you can see these hard communist hearts just melted. Because out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. Amen. And those kids start praising and worshiping. I mean, you can feel the power of God in that. So that, that's why we have so much focus on the young people, because they're the ones that are listening. Next. And here's the front of the restaurant. You can see we have the tables and uh, umbrellas and serving food and uh, ice cream and drinks out there, and they listen to the music. Next. And then afterward, we have our uh, parents' night cookout. You know, we have like a, a klobasa. That's like Polish sausage and weenies and hamburgers and stuff. And, and then the parents get to know us that we're just regular folks who love family activities and we're not some strange off-the-wall sect. And this has been a huge help for us because now our eight churches have joined together and we have status with the Czech government as an official Czech Protestant denomination. And that is really helpful because now they can't call us a sect anymore. <laughs> Amen. But it took us 15 years to get that. It's not been easy. Next. And th this is our baseball camp. We take the kids... Uh, over to Germany, this is nine of our Czech youth, and there was 144 kids. And then our Czech kids play baseball, and it's co-ed, but it's a great way. The kids can have fun at learning the sport, and then in the evening, we have rallies where we do praise and worship and testimonies and skits, and 
it's great fun. And two of the kids that got saved at this, the guy in the Philly shirt in the front and the guy in the Orioles on the left, both got born again. And they were two that got baptized. The rest of them were all saved. But see, that's how it is. You just step by step, you draw them in, and it makes a difference in the kingdom of God. Next. And here's uh, Tommy up on top leading the women's meeting. This is our Olamotes Fellowship down below. And they're sending their love to you all because we are on the same team. Amen? New Covenant has partnered with our church in Olamotes. And, and we just want to say thank you because you, your investment is how we are able to stay there. And without you guys, we can't do it. You know, it's been a challenge. Our income has gone down 40% in the last three years. And we've lost six churches because of the economic crunch. But New Covenant, I believe God is going to bless your church because you have stayed strong in support of missions, even in the times of economic difficulty. And I laud you for that. And I expect God's going to bless everybody here as you keep giving and sowing your tithes and offerings into the house of God. Amen? Next. This is a gospel group from Chicago, and Corey, uh, you know, it's an all-black choir, and this is really unique in Czech Republic because this is a landlocked country. We're a long way from Africa or America, and so to see a black gospel choir is like, wow, that's fascinating, and the people love it. And Corey, he gets out there, and he's showing them some dance steps, and three of those people up there got saved, actually five altogether, after the concert. Next. And... Uh, there I am. Some people say you shouldn't toot your own horn, but I make an exception to that. <laughs> Next. And so we just set up right out in the park, and the people just come, and it's a, it's, it's a wonderful time because, like, for five to ten years ago, people would just, they'd come and hear the music, but after they hear the name Jesus, ah, we don't want that. That's some weird thing. But now they're staying. Because it's a harder economic time. It's over 10% unemployment. Average check wages three to three fifty an hour, three dollars and fifty cents. You can't live on that. You know, gas is eight bucks a gallon over there. You think we got problems? It's hard to live. But now that the economic squeeze is on, people are listening, and they'll stay there for 45 minutes. And afterwards, we got five people that came up to receive Christ. Next. And so this is our group on the Olamot Square, where our town is. And you remember Honza and Tomash, they were here and a couple times came to New Covenant with the Czech band. And we're out there playing on the square, and, and it was like 150 people. They stayed there for an hour through the whole program. And at the end, look what happened. Go to the next one. Eight people came up and gave their lives to Jesus right on the street. See, there's a, it's a new season of anointing and you know pastor cj and that wonderful testimony we had about treasure hunting people that's real you just got to be available and god will send you the people that are ready you just pray and god will use you you just got to be ready to open up that wellspring of salvation that's in you and god will give you the words amen it's time next so these young people, it's mostly, like I said, the younger generation, because old people are all you know, hardened in their thinking. But the young people that are being saved now, they are the future leaders of the church. How important is that? You know, 
85% of all the Christians in the world today who are in church right now got saved by the time they were 15. 85%. So what does that tell you is our greatest mission field? It's young people, youth and children. We've got to be out there. And I'm talking in Stillwater, Oklahoma, too. I mean, we've got to be going after those young people and give them much, much better than what the world has. Next. So I'm wanting to give you encouragement today about opening up the wells of salvation, the, the, the living water that Jesus has promised to everyone who believes. Remember in John 7, 37, he said, Out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water, and this shall be to all who believe. He was speaking of the Spirit that he would give to all who believe in his name. Amen? It's not just a one-time experience when you got filled with the Holy Ghost. That is an ongoing, day-to-day river of refreshment and joy that you should be experiencing every day. You know, here you come to church on Sunday, and, you know, we're just here to make you thirsty. But you've got to go to the well. I can make you thirsty today, but I cannot make you drink the rest of the week. You've got to go and get that living water yourself. Amen? And that is the key, people. Because the folks who aren't getting the living water of God's presence, they're living by their reason. They're living in the land of their intellect. They're living according to what they can sense and feel and think and produce out of their own imagination. But those who do the mighty works of God don't live by reason. They live by revelation. And revelation comes from the Holy Ghost and and the Spirit of God, which is all through this book. But you can even read this book, and if you don't have the spirit of revelation, it's just words on a page. That's why we got all these theologians that preach a bunch of nonsense because they don't have the spirit of revelation. They got the spirit of theology, the spirit of intellectual, you know, dissertations, and they're very smart men. But see, you can you can be real smart and not know anything about the spirit of God. You can have all the degrees and the, you know, all the titles, and you can have nothing but a bunch of intellectual arguments that can't change anything. But God says he chose the foolish things of this world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are great and mighty. Amen? He says not many noble, not many of high birth, not many, you know, of, you know, uh, great intellect. He chose the simple things. He said, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and yet revealed them to babes. Amen? And and so we see Jesus was on his quest to bring this living water everywhere he went. And I love this illustration. This is actually a a, a wellspring in Lebanon. And and you see on the top half, that's the real world. That's the, the world you can touch and there's water spilling down into this beautiful pool. And then below that is this reflection. And actually, the reflection part looks more real than the real part does. <laughs> and this kind of reminds me, see, there's this world on top, and it's a beautiful world. There's still good things that God created in this world. Amen? But 
beyond that, in that reflection, like the part behind the mirror, that's the spiritual realm. That's where the Holy Ghost lives. And that's the eternal power. That's the place that you're going to live forever and ever. And when we come to Jesus on a daily basis and the Holy Ghost wells up in us, you're living not in this physical sense realm where you just touch and think and feel and, and reason, but you're living according to revelation by the Spirit. Like that sister who got that word about even Pac-Man, you know. <laughs> or how, however, see, the, these words come up from the Spirit that your intellect cannot figure out. And then these are the people that get these sudden moves of God to step out in faith and do miraculous things. Amen? They're in the right place at the right time. I want to be that kind of Christian. Amen? I don't want to be just living in my sense, reason realm. I want revelation from the Holy Ghost. How many are with me? How many want that revelation? Well, let's just look at a couple things. John chapter 4, Jesus came to the well, and he was talking to a woman, you know, and she, she was stuck in the natural. And I, bless her heart, she had reason to be. She was a hard situation. You know, we, we know this story. She'd been married five times, rejected five times, probably because she couldn't have children. She wasn't just a loose woman. Maybe she became one. But at the beginning, she, she wanted a, a good life. But in those days, if you couldn't have children, that was like the worst um, humiliation for a woman to not be able to have children. And, and, and she'd been through five times humiliation. And now she's just living with a guy, probably because he didn't want to marry her, because <laughs> she couldn't have children. And so she's just living with this guy. And, and she's out there at the sixth hour of the day at the well. Why? There was no other women there then. See, at the early hour, all the women came out to get water for the whole day. And she didn't want to listen to all their criticism and judgment and hateful words. And, you know, oh, look at her. We know about her. That's horrible. She dealt with that every day. And so she was out there at noon, sixth hour, and Jesus come and sat down, and he said, uh, would you give me some water to drink? And, and she was shocked. And she said this, how can you talk to me? The Samaritan woman said, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Believe me, there was prejudice in those days too. I hate that spirit. But see, the Jews looked down on the Samaritans like, oh, we're not going to talk to them. you know. And the Samaritans were just used to that prejudice attitude. And here's this Jewish rabbi talking. And she's a woman besides. That was really unorthodox. And Jesus, he, he's going to get a hold of her thinking now. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? See, she's getting a little sassy here, a little sarcastic. You know, Jesus says, hey, if you just would have asked me, if you, if you recognize who I am, you could ask me, I will give you living water. And she who does this guy think he is? You don't have a bucket to get water with. And look, 
You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? You know, she's like, who do you think you are? And she, she's all in the thinking, reasoning realm. She can't get out of the reason realm because she's so stuck in her mindsets. See, that's one of the things that will stop you from receiving the living water of Christ. You get stuck in your predisposed notions about how things are, and, and it becomes like rocks plugging up the well of the living water because you've got predeceived notions. Well, I always believe da-da-da-da-da. I'm sorry, folks, if you want to, the living water to float, you've got to get rid of those preconceived human reasoning notions, and then God can begin to speak to you things that you otherwise never could understand. Amen? And, and so Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water is going to thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Now I can drink this water here. A few hours later, I'm going to be thirsty and need more. But Jesus is talking about spiritual living water. How many people in here have experienced, you know, the, the thirst of the things of this world, it, it never can be quenched. You know, you, 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 when, you're, when we're young, we live in a little apartment, you say, if I could just get a house. And then you finally get a house. Then you start having a couple kids. Well, I, now I need a bigger house. And then you get that one. And then pretty soon you see some friend, and they even got a bigger one than that. And, oh, now i got to have one like they have. And, and you see these people... And, and they're living in this huge mansion, and they just die, and, and they have to leave it behind anyway. People, you know, you, you get a car, and that's good, and then, oh, man, i got to have a faster car. And then you get that one, and, you know, two weeks after you get it, well, this isn't quite as fast as I thought. I need the ne next faster one. And it's just an ongoing carrot on a stick, and you're thirsty, and you'll never get satisfied with that stuff because it's just physical. I'll tell you, though, if you get a hold of the living water from the well of Jesus Christ, you're going to not be thirsty all the time anymore because you're going to have that wellspring of life flowing up in you. Amen? And so Jesus is getting a hold of her. He says, the water that I will give to you will become in you a well of living water springing up to eternal life. Amen? And that well, it will not run dry. Never will it run dry. It will always be producing. If you've got a heart of worship and obedience and, and are, are not plugged up with all the stones and the junk of this world. Amen? So I want to now go, go to the next slide. We're going to talk about Isaac. Oh, this is our church planning university. I'll, I'll come back to that later. Keep going. Keep going. Next. There we go. <laughs> Isaac was not perfect. He made mistakes. He did some dumb things. But see, God wasn't looking for perfect people. He was just looking for people who would submit, people who would just surrender. Those are the folks that get the living water, people that just bow down their knee and say, God, I don't have it. I need you. I'm thirsty for more of Jesus. I made mistakes. I, I need you. Well, Isaac got to that point. Now, I'm going to read this story because a lot of you can relate to this. Isaac came to a difficult place 
where everything looked negative around him. There was famine in the land. The Philistines had plugged up all the wells that his father dug. It, it, it was bad. It looked like his family wasn't going to make it. And in the natural realm, it, it looked like defeat. And he was thinking about going down to Egypt because there was some food at least down there. But God had to correct him and get him out of the natural reasoning, get him back into revelation of the covenant. And once he did that, Hallelujah, the rivers began to flow and blessings came up even in the time of famine. Amen? And that's where you all got to be today. Some of you are in a hard place. It might be financial. It might be relational. It might be in your marriage. It might be with your kids or grandkids. It might be a church issue or your ministry. I don't know, but I'll tell you what. If you'll just get out of your sense realm and come into the Spirit, His water will flow up and show you the way to blessings. Amen? But it comes by the Spirit and not by the intellect. So let's read this together. It says, There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. See, Egypt is the land of compromise. It looks good. There, yeah, there was food down there. And in the mind of Isaac, hey, why not go? They're eating all right. And I got just hardly enough seed left here. You know, I, I got to do something because I got to take care of my, my wife, you know, Rebecca. And, and our, our future depends on it. And he's thinking in the natural. But see, the devil always will offer a compromise. <laughs> you know, the way the mind is telling you. Egypt is the land of compromise. Now, what is a compromise? It's a, an agreement or a settlement of a dispute in which two or more sides agree to accept less than they originally wanted. It's something that you accept rather than want. It's something that a person will accept because what they really want is not attainable. Or, if you look at the verb version of compromise, it means to settle a dispute by agreeing to accept less than what was originally desired. It also means to undermine or lessen the value of someone or something through compromise. Like, you know, don't compromise your integrity by telling half-truths or white lies. That's compromise. Compromise means to expose somebody or something and bring them into danger or weakness through compromise. Like this happens in political scandals all the time. Like this scandal could compromise this person's chances for re-election or Certain drugs can compromise or weaken your immune system and expose you to disease or infection. You know, Saul compromised when he didn't follow Samuel's advice. Remember, he, Samuel said, destroy Agag and all of his sheep and flocks. Destroy it all because it's, it's pagan. It's, it's evil. And Saul compromised because his mind said, well, the people all want the sheep. They want the gold. They want all this stuff. And if I just give them the stuff, then they'll like me more. See? 
People compromise all around us in our society. People do it. And if we're Christians, we've got to know that when it comes to the Word of God, we do not compromise. Amen? We've got to stand strong. And, and so here's, we, we see Isaac, he's tempted. Now, in this case, he made the right decision. But a little bit later, he got compromised when he lied about his wife, Rebecca. And he, he said, she's my sister. Because he's trying to save his own skin. <laughs> yeah. How many of you wives would like that? You know, you come someplace and your, your husband says, oh, she's just my sister. Oh, it's going to be slap, slap time real soon. <laughs> yeah. And you deserve it if you did that. Well, that's what Isaac did. See, but here he, he makes up his mind to follow the covenant. Sojourn, verse 3, sojourn in this land. And I will be with thee, and I will bless thee, for unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries. I will perform the oath, or the covenant, which I swore unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice, and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. See, there was a history. There was this covenant promise. And Isaac was given the responsibility to take that next step. You know, Abraham believed God. Abraham came and left his homeland back there in Ur. And he and Lot came and, and dwelt in Canaan. And God said, I will bless you that you may be a blessing. And in when he was close to 100, and his wife Sarah was in her 80s, he gave them a child, and his name was Isaac. But now Abraham is dead, and Isaac's got to carry that covenant to the next generation. He can't depend on what was before. He's got to open up that well of the covenant faith and that wellspring of truth into the next generation. And, of course, the enemy's resisting him. But on the way... I'm going to just speed up the story. He, he saw these Philistines all around, and they're looking at Rebecca because she was beautiful. And he's thinking, man, look at all these Philistines. You know, if I say that she is my wife, they'll kill me and steal her away, and I've lost it. And so in his reasoning, he starts thinking, well, I'll just tell them she's my sister. <laughs> oh, no. You know, he was compromised. And God couldn't bless him. See, when we, when we let those little compromises in, you know, unforgiveness, lying, dishonesty, disobedience, watching stuff on the Internet we shouldn't look at, men, you know, ladies getting into gossip or criticism or, you know, people, there's all these stones the devil wants to put in and get you to compromise. And then it stops up the blessing. And one day, Isaac was out there in the field, and he was, you know, giving some smooches and hugs to his wife because, you know, he thought no one was looking. And Abimelech was looking out the window, and he goes, oh, that ain't his sister. <laughs> and he comes out there, Isaac, what are you doing? You said she was your sister. Tell me the truth. And he said, oh, I thought your men would kill me because she's so beautiful. And so I said she's my sister, and I'm, I'm sorry. She's my wife. And see, he, he did the right thing. He admitted. He just fessed up. He said, yeah, I, I messed up. I'm sorry. And then 
See, that at that point, immediately, God could begin to turn things around. God is a gracious God. He isn't looking for perfect people. That's why you need a Savior. He's looking for surrendered people. And if you'll just surrender to Him today and admit, yeah, I got some stones plugging up my life just like Isaac did. Lord, I want you to just blow open that well again and get rid of the bitterness or unforgiveness or disobedience or whatever it is. The Lord will show you. And now here's where it gets really good. Uh, go to the next slide, please, Shannon, or whoever's working. Okay. So Abimelech charged all his people. See, God turned it around into a blessing. And he said, he that touches this man or his wife shall be put to death. See, what the enemy started out as something evil with, with Isaac's lie about Rebekah, God turned it around for good now and proclaimed a blessing of protection on him because he got straight with God again. And then look at this. Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Hallelujah. You know, he, he's out there sowing seed on his, his plot of land, and everybody in the neighborhood is going, ha, ha, look at Isaac. What a fool. Hasn't rained here in a couple years. Everything's dry, and he's just going to throw that seed away. But Isaac, no. Thank you, Lord. You said I'm going to be blessed. I'm putting this seed in. I'm trusting in you. I'm serving you. I'm believing for the blessing because I've got a covenant. Hallelujah. People, you've got the same covenant. It's right here. It's ours. And, and the rain came, and everybody else missed it. But the rain all fell on Isaac's land. And in the same year, he reaped a hundredfold. Glory to God. And you say, well, that's great for Isaac. Well, people, wait a minute. This is for us too. Because we're the covenant of Abraham. We're of the same covenant he was. Amen? Now you say, well, that's amazing. Yeah, you know, that a hundredfold, that means you put in a dollar, you get back a hundred. You put in a hundred, you get back ten thousand. You put in a thousand, you get back a hundred thousand. Now, I'd like a piece of that. Who wouldn't? But people, we've got a piece of that. Because we're the seed of Abraham. Amen? And if we sow in faith and obedience, we'll get it too. Because Jesus became a curse for us. For all who die upon a cross, upon a tree are cursed. But he became a curse so that the blessings of Abraham can come on you who believe. Amen? That's Galatians 3.13. He took that curse of unproductive lives and gave us the blessing of Abraham if we believe and if we sow and if we open up those wells of life, not just for me, but God gives us the living water to pour it out on others. Amen? And you make up your mind to do that, that hundredfold blessing will come to your life. Amen? Well, I've seen it. That's how... A missionary living on a shoestring can buy this old beat-up restaurant and build it into something. Now, we're still not making a profit yet because the winter, you know, they don't plow the roads. It's slow. But I'm just believing God. If they don't get a plow, I'll get one. Hallelujah. Because <laughs> I'm going to be blessed. How about you? 
Amen, you are going to be blessed because you're part of the seed of Abraham. Now look what he did. He, had, he waxed great, verse 13. He went forward, he grew until he became very great. For he had possession of flocks, possession of herds, a great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him. For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, Now go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. So Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar. Now see, he's, he's expanding. He's got more servants and more flocks. And the, the local king, Abimelech, he's, he's not Jewish. He's Philistine. And he's seeing, oh, this guy's becoming a threat. He's becoming too big for us. You, you, you better go. And, and so now Isaac says, well, I, I've got to have water. I've got to have fresh provision here. And so he starts seeing that he had a heritage. Those wells that the Philistines plugged up, they belonged to his father. His father dug them. There was a, a heritage in the covenant, and he says, I want what is rightfully mine. Amen? And, and people, you've got to have a determination. I have a rightful claim to the living water of, of Jesus Christ, but I've got to dig it up in prayer, in the Spirit, speaking in tongues, gift of knowledge. I've got to spend time, not just on Sunday, but every day I've got to spend time worshiping and praying. Amen? Amen. Go to the next one. And Isaac digged again the wells of water, which they had digged in the days of Abraham, for the Philistines had stopped them. And he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. See, he, he said, hey, I remember this well. And this was, this was one my dad dug. And they, Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. Oh, see, he's, he's out there. He's not just sitting on his backside. Oh, Lord, bless me. Make the water flow. No, he's out there with his servants, and they're digging. They're, they're pickaxing that caliche, you know. Have you ever had to pickaxe through caliche? <laughs> you know, that hard kind of rocky stuff to get to water? It's hard. It was hard work. But see, as they just applied themselves, the waters began to flow up. And sure enough, now the herdsmen of Gerar, now they show up. Hey, we were here before you. That's our water, which was a lie. It wasn't theirs. It was Abraham's well, but they're, they're causing strife with him. And the water is ours. He, and he called the name of the well, verse 20, Asek, because they strove with him. Now this is interesting. Asek is the Hebrew word for contention. And, and if you look at what that means, contention, it means selfish ambition. Self-seeking, rivalry, jealousy. And, and so many times, folks, just before we're starting to open up that well of salvation in our churches, in our towns, in our families and marriages, the enemy comes with that spirit of selfishness. Selfish ambition stops up the flow of the rivers of God. And the devil uses it time and time again. In fact, the New Testament talks about it too. Uh, you don't have to change the slide. Just stay there, please. But it's in James chapter 3 and, and verse 16. And the, the Bible tells us, you know, th this spirit of strife is the author 
of confusion. This contention spirit is why people can't get things accomplished. It says, if you have jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. This wisdom is not from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder, confusion, and every evil work. See, and the enemy, he sowed that in, in the land where Isaac's trying to dig to stop him. That contention spirit came against him. Now, Isaac could have done two things. He could have fought in the reasoning realm. Well, let's just get all the servants. Get your swords on, boys. We're going to go out there and whoop them. And for the rest of his days, he would have had an ongoing feud. But he reacted in the spirit, and instead of reacting in strife, he reacted in peace. He says, all right, you can just have that wealth. See, this is the spirit of God. He says, the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to reason, or reasonable. That just means willing to discuss things instead of just shouting and yelling and have to have your own way. It's full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Amen? Are you a peacemaker? Isaac was, and he got blessed. See, when you walk in the door, does peace walk in with you? Does everybody, oh, I feel the peace of God. When you walk in, or do they feel nerves, strife, <laughs> you know? Anxious, complaining, you know, well, why isn't this done? You know, there's some people, I mean, they just walk in the door and peace just flies right out the window. <laughs> like, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> but uh, other people, they just walk in and, hey, it's the peace of God. Well, what kind of person should we be? See, we've got to learn to overcome that strife spirit and, and contention and replace it with the spirit of God's love and peace in every situation. And that's a mature Christian. Isaac had to do the same. It says, verse 21, Now they digged another well, and they strove for that also. And so he called the name of it Setna. And Setna is a little different. That means just strife. Strife is disobedience, disunity, disharmony, unrest, rebellion. And boy, there's a lot of that today. <laughs> you know, people, they don't want, you know how it is. You know, your pastor just says, you know, maybe you could do this a little differently. And, well, who do you think you are? You know? <laughs> and then that spirit of strife stops up the well of living water. And that person can't flow to their higher calling and gifts because they got those stones of strife plugging up the well. And people, today, we got to blast that stuff out in the name of Jesus because it's stopping you from experiencing the fullness of God's blessing. Amen? And so that Isaac said, I'm not going to strive. <laughs> Go ahead and have that. And so he went over and he found another one of his father's wells. And he began to dig. Verse 22, he removed from thence and digged another well. And for that they strove not. <laughs> Hallelujah. See, we just got to keep walking in peace 
and love and forgiveness. And then eventually that river is going to come flowing up in us again. And there won't be that disorder and confusion and difficulty. There will be God's wellspring of living peace and good things of the Spirit. And so it says, he called it the name Rehoboth. And he said, for now the Lord has made room for us. And we shall be fruitful in the land. And he went up from thence to Beersheba. And now look what he does. This is another key. So we see Isaac, he obeyed the Lord. He didn't compromise. He went and stayed in the land. He stepped out in faith and sowed even in a time of famine. He dug the wells of life so that others could receive the blessing. And now he didn't quit. He kept digging and digging until he finally had a place where the Lord could move. Folks, you just got to keep on digging. Maybe you haven't experienced that fullness. Keep on digging, people. Don't get in strife. Don't, don't leave the church and run off and go somewhere else. You stay where God's planted you and just keep serving and keep digging and keep loving. And that river is going to come up for you too. Amen? That's the plan of God. And finally, he worshipped the Lord. Look what he did. And the Lord appeared to him the same night. Verse 24. He said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee. Fear not. Don't be afraid of what's going on in the world. Fear not. God is with you. Amen? You just get a hold of that living water today, folks. God is with you. Get a revelation. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, God is with you. Fear not. Amen. Hallelujah. And what did Isaac do? He said, and he built it, verse 25, he built an altar there, and he called upon the name of the Lord, and he pitched there his tent, and the, there Isaac's servants digged a well. Um, he, he, they called Isaac the well digger. Everywhere he went, he was digging up those wells of eternal life, those wells of joy, those wells of salvation, wells of forgiveness, wells of freedom. And he became the one who provided the next step. And his sons were Jacob and Esau. And Jacob became the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, his son. See, God had a plan. God had a great plan. God's got a great plan for you. But see, he, he built an altar there. He got down on his knees and he honored the Lord God of heaven. And he worshipped and, and gave credit to the one who is the giver of life and eternal living water. Amen? And that's, that's a key for us people. We've got to be constantly giving God the glory and giving him honor and thanksgiving. And, and our life should be like a living altar of praise to him. Amen? Because you can't, I, I promise you right now, you can't dig up those wells in your own strength. You can't find them. I have a huge vision. I, we got eight churches in check. When I die, I want to see a hundred. I want to see supernatural multiplication. I want a hundred churches in check before I breathe my last. Why not? How big is God? You say, oh, Mark, that's just a little. Oh, no, I don't accept that. My God is a big God, and he's called me to go and dig up some wells. Amen? Well, how about you? There's wells right here in Oklahoma. 
dwells in people's hearts and you can lit, open them those stones, pull out that unforgiveness and bitterness and sadness and rejection, depression, oppression. Folks, you've got the living water. Just hook up that hose of the Holy Ghost and blast that stuff out and love people. And you'll see the same thing happening right in your lives too. Because the more you pour, the more comes in. Amen? Oh, hallelujah. Well, I preached myself happy. Let's all stand. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I just realized I went about ooh, 20 minutes over time. But I hope you didn't mind. Are you all with me today? Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. I want to pray for you as we close. I'm going to turn it back over to Pastor CJ. Would you all just be honest with me? How many of you really, really want that living water? Raise your hand. Praise God. Well, you're in the right place. <laughs> How many can see? Maybe there's some stones that have been plugging up that flow. <laughs> some little stones of unbelief or unforgiveness, disobedience. I don't know, but you do, and God does. And today is days when we don't have time to be messed up with just a little trickle. I do not want to just get... I don't want to live on that. I want, I want the rivers of living water. I don't want the holy drop. <laughs> Amen? But you got to get the stones out. I do too, people. I'm preaching to myself. I can't do what I need to do if I've got some stones in me plugging up the flow. We all got to just be honest with God and say, yeah, Lord, there's some stones. I want to get rid of them now, today, here, right now. So if you're honest and you know there's a couple stones in there, lift up your hand and I'm going to pray for you right now. Come on, just be honest. You know, there's a couple things in there. i got to get them stones out. Hallelujah. Okay, I'm going to pray for that group. Oh, Hallelujah. God, I just thank you that you are the author of life. And you are that source of living waters that freely flow to all who believe. But God, some of us today... There's some just stony little things that have been plugging up the fountain. And we're just being straight honest with you, God, because you know everything anyway. I can't hide anything. You know my heart. You know my mind. You know everything in my life. And I'm just coming with my brothers and sisters, God, and we're just saying, Lord, open up the wells in me. Take out those stones. I just repent right now of things that I've let get in there for whatever reason. God, I'm just doing heart surgery I'm asking you to just clear out those stones and things that don't belong there, things that aren't like Jesus. And I'm asking you to just set me free by the precious blood of your Lamb, Jesus Christ. Lord, come and just do that, that opening up of, of all those hard things that are stuck down in there, maybe even from when I was a kid, and rejection or, or negative you know, speaking over my life or curses, uh, Maybe it's things that I've done and I've just disobeyed you in some area. But right now, Lord, I just lay down before the throne of God and I say, cleanse me, Jesus. Wash me in your Holy Ghost. Make me new. Make me whole. Make me free. 
And let me come again to that living fountain that flow from heaven like a waterfall. Let it just flow into me with greater power like a surge of holy energy rising up in me and make me a, a river of peace and life for those around me again. I just thank you for your goodness to me, Lord, that today is my day of freedom, my day of living water, my day of power to get back in that place, and I'm going to be a gusher for you, Lord. <laughs> I'm going to be a gusher of living holy flow wherever I go, God. And the, the gift of tongues is going to flow up no in me. The word of knowledge, the word You're of wisdom, the word of exhortation and encouragement, the gift of faith, the gift of healing, the gift Your of tongues, interpretation, discernment of spirits. All of, of God, I'm open. Just flow through me more, Holy Spirit. I honor you. I reverence you. I, I want the whole package. I want all, all of the, the sweetest of love. So I'm just making myself my a vessel. I purify my yeah, heart. My shame is a